You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so honored to have you with us Today, I love that song that we just sang in worship. If you're tuning into the podcast, we just sang a song called More to Come. It says, great things you have done and great things you, well, it, it says great things you have done and great things, Lord, how great you are. There is more to come. Anyways, I was thinking about this season that we've been in as a church and um, as I was worshiping. I felt like that we've been in kind of a Saturday season, you know, that, that, that it, it, it reminds me of the moment of crucifixion and resurrection, how uh, in that Saturday it must have felt so hopeless. I know the enemy must have thought he was winning because Jesus was in the tomb and, he, and it seemed like he had won. And I, and I was thinking about this year, how maybe the enemy thought he won because over the last six months, it has gotten darker and darker in this country and in our world. The, the churches have been closed and everything had to shift and change. People haven't been gathering together for worship. And maybe it's felt a little bit like that Saturday. But what we know because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that on the other side of that Saturday was the greatest moment in the history of the church, in the history of humanity when Jesus defeated death and walked out of that tomb. And I just can't help but think that on the other side of this whole thing, not just next week when we come back as a church, but on the other side of this whole thing, that maybe, just maybe, God has in mind and He has in store greater things for His church, for this world, for what's going to happen in the hearts of people than we've ever seen before since that day that Jesus walked out of the tomb. And so I'm kind of getting excited even just thinking about the idea because what I've seen throughout our, our history uh, in our relationship between God and people is that every time the enemy thinks he's won, God is about to show up and do something bigger than we've ever seen before. And so that's, that's, that's how I'm feeling today as, as we come back uh, for one more online-only service for now before next weekend when we come to Welcome Back Sunday. We are so excited about Welcome Back Sunday. If you haven't heard the news, we are coming back to in-person worship services. It's a new location. It's going to feel different. Things are going to be different than they were before. However, we are so excited to have the people of God together worshiping together again in that environment. It's going to be great. Next week, we will be gathering in person again, and we can't wait. You can find out more information about it on our website at gatherashville.org slash welcome back, including what kids' ages we'll have programs for, what you need to do for that, what that's going to look like, and all the information about our COVID precautions. Uh, if you don't know, in order to check your kids into kids ministry, you have to pre-register your kids online. And so you need to do that. The registration is going to be open on Monday. You need to do that as soon as it opens up because it will fill up. We're limiting the amount of kids we allow 
in there. And so uh, I'm excited. I'm ready to worship together again. I'm fired up and ready, and I hope I get to see you there. Well, today is part two of a two-part series called Kingdom Come. Last week, I talked about what it looks like to see the kingdom of heaven come in me. And today, I want to shift to some, uh, really, some declarations about what we are doing to make the kingdom of heaven come in our city. When Jesus taught us how to pray, He opened it up like this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the first things that we were taught to pray for is for this world to look more and more like the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught us to live this way and He called us to train others to live this way with the hope that here in our church and in our community and in our city, we can begin to make it look more and more like the kingdom of heaven that is to come. One of the things that Jesus constantly came up against was people's expectations for Him. Do people ever have expectations for you that you never asked for? Of course they do. That's what people do. They have expectations. Did you ever get a great aunt or something that based all of their expectations of you based on something that you did when you were five years old? Like you ate a whole lot of cornbread at a family get-together, and then every time you went over to your aunt's house, they were like, oh no, everybody hide the cornbread. Here comes the cornbread eater. We've all been there before, right? Or, or uh, maybe people have expectations for you based on what they want from you. Maybe you, you've ever led something, if you've ever led anything like a, a committee at work or a group project at school or even just lead, lead planning events for your family. If you've ever led anything, maybe you've experienced what it feels like to have everyone's expectations for you be based on how they want to be led rather than anything to do with you. That's what Jesus was constantly up against. At one point in history, um, at this point in history, when Jesus stepped onto the scene, the Jews were living under Roman rule. And there's a lot of prophecies, um, especially after the fall of Israel to Babylon, about God sending someone to deliver them, to bring them out of captivity, to change that for them. And when people read those prophecies, they all took it to be very literal, like when Moses came and delivered them from Egyptian rule. So when Jesus showed up, and started doing messianic things, and they thought maybe this is the Messiah, people began to expect him to lead a revolution. They, they thought Jesus was, the Messiah was going to come and lead a revolution, and it was going to change things for them. They expected Jesus to overthrow Rome and give them their literal, physical freedom. They expected the kingdom of heaven that had been spoken about for centuries that the Messiah would come to usher in. They expected that it would be like a kingdom that they once knew or that existed in their collective memory. They didn't know that God had something much better in mind. And we still do this to God. We put expectations on Him to do things for us or lead our lives in a certain direction with no clue that what He really has in mind for us is far greater than anything we've already imagined. 
Even many of Jesus' disciples had this expectation of Jesus, that he was coming to establish this earthly kingdom, to lead this earthly revolution. Some scholars speculate that one of the reasons Judas betrayed Jesus was because he expected Jesus to start this literal revolution, and when he didn't, he got frustrated and tired of waiting. We can see a dynamic like that in play in a story that happens in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, it says, The mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. She got down on her knees before Jesus to ask something of him. We all know this. This mom, it's funny, this is 2,000 years ago. This mom still exists in our culture today, right? These guys are grown men, and their mom, they're walking up, their mom's got them in tow to walk up to Jesus so she can try to get them in a little bit closer to the king. He said to her, What do you want? She said, So say that my two sons may sit, one at your right side and one at your left side, when you are king. Jesus said to her, you do not know what you are asking. The woman was vying for her son's political positions and what she thought was a kingdom like the one she'd always seen before. But the kingdom that Jesus came to establish was very different from every other kind of kingdom. It was not a kingdom of flesh and blood. Jesus said this during his trial. He said, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom Jesus came to establish doesn't fit into our expectations of what a kingdom might look like. He spent his whole ministry setting up what that meant and explaining what the kingdom he came to establish would actually look like. You see, Jesus did come to incite a revolution but not one defined by violence and a shift in power. Rather, he came to incite a revolution in the hearts and souls of anyone willing to listen. City by city and place to place, Jesus led a revolution that would encompass the whole planet and make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as his church, his bride, his body in our city, we are called to continue that revolution and keep up the work of establishing the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. Here at the Gathering Church, we will do whatever it takes to accomplish that mission. That's why we're launching at the YMCA next week. That's why we go through all the work to bring you these services online. It is a lot of work to bring you these services online, but we believe it's worth it. That's why we started this church in the first place. And it's the mission that we are calling you, inviting you to join us in. So at the Gathering Church, we are committed to establishing this kind of kingdom of heaven, to continuing the revolution that Jesus started right here in our city. We believe that our role as a church is to carry on that work by making our city, by making Asheville and everywhere around it look on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what that looks like for us today. I just want to lay out a few statements, kind of my, our line drawn in the sand, our, our, our flag thrown on the ground of, hey, here's who we are. Here's how we're going to accomplish what it is that Jesus started 
here on this earth by helping to make his kingdom come. Here's how we're going to do it. First, we will serve selflessly. We will serve selflessly. When the mother of James and John asked Jesus to give her sons a prominent position in the kingdom, Jesus addresses his disciples to try and reset their expectations for how different his kingdom is from earthly kingdoms. In verse 25 of Matthew 20, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Is how it always works. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is a dynamic at play in this world that is woven throughout the fabric of our culture. We have a catchphrase to sum it up. You got to look out for number one. And that little phrase drives us. We want to do what's most comfortable for us, what's most advantageous to us. We want to do whatever helps us to advance in this life, what gets us what we want, what makes us feel good. But Jesus says in his kingdom, it works differently from that. He started this revolution on this idea He flipped it upside down and he's been changing millions of lives ever since by flipping that whole idea upside down. As a church, we are going to serve people selflessly in order to be a part of something bigger than ourselves so that we can make our city a better place. That's why we do things like partnering with the Asheville Dream Center. That's why we think it's so important to be a part of the Dream Team on Sundays and beyond. Our goal is to train you out of the drive to look out for yourself first. And instead, we want to create a culture of leaders that serve the people they are called to lead. I think more and more over the last six months, We've drawn in to ourselves. We've drawn into our own homes and families. We've drawn more and more into ourselves, and we've made it more and more about us. Fear will do that to you. A a, a first reaction when we're living in a culture of fear is I have to protect myself. It's basic, raw instinct. And for six months, we've been living in a culture of fear, and it has created a higher than already existed. There was already a culture of me, a culture of look out for me, a culture of take care of me first. But living under a culture of fear for the last six months has amplified it to where now it's me and me alone. I got to do what's best for me. I'm not going to do what makes me uncomfortable. Don't tell me to do something that makes me uncomfortable, to do something that makes me feel worried. We're all drawn into ourselves more than ever before. And I believe that is feeding into the bitterness and anxiety and stress and unhappiness that many of us are feeling, regardless of what the enemy has convinced you of. You were not made to serve yourself. You were made to serve others. As a church, 
We're fixated on serving others selflessly. We claim the words of Paul in Philippians 2.3 that says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It's time to stop focusing on me and how I can, and it's time to start focusing on how I can be a part of helping others to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Number two, we will make kingdom come in our city because we will value all people. We will value. People need to feel seen and they need to feel valued. And I believe that a role of the church is to help people feel valued the way that God values people. People often will encounter places and people that make them feel less valued. And the last place anybody should ever feel that is the church. But I think sometimes we get that wrong. It's the greatest error we can make as the church. Because nobody values people more than the one who made them. And our role as the church is to make all people feel valued. One of my points last week was that the kingdom of heaven is for anyone and everyone. The kingdom of heaven is not a country club. It's not some exclusive place you earn or buy your way into. It's not some place for those on the inside to retreat to all the while ignoring anyone on the outside. It's not for perfect people or those who pretend to be perfect. If you are a part of the gathering church and you think that you are perfect, you're going to be a little uncomfortable here because we have a culture of vulnerability and it won't be long before you realize how imperfect all of us are. And if you've never felt comfortable or at home in a church because you feel that there's some pressure for you to pretend to be perfect, I need you to know that you can feel comfortable and at home in the gathering church because there are no perfect people here. We are all on this process to find freedom, to discover our purpose, to get better, to throw off our baggage. We've all got a lot of baggage and we're trying to recover from it. The kingdom of heaven is a place of healing for those who are broken, sick, defeated, and outcast. The kingdom of heaven is a place of redemption for those who've lost their way. As a church, we are committed to making our community here and then our city around us look more like the kingdom of heaven, specifically in this way. There are no perfect people here. We are here. We are, we are in this community to find freedom and discover who we were made to be. It's a journey, and we don't, any of us, have it all figured out. We don't value one person over another person for any reason. We value all people and passionately pursue anyone who is in need of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus tells a, a series of parables in Luke chapter 15 about how passionate he is about finding those who are lost, those who may be overlooked and forgotten and moved on from by the rest of their society. 
It starts like this in verse 3. It says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. We will not be able to make our city look like heaven unless we begin to value people the way that Jesus valued people. We value people and we can't just draw ourselves or or only care. We can't just draw into ourselves or only care about the people we know at church. We can't just only care about the people in our life group. We can't just draw into our families and only value them. All of those people matter. And they deserve our love, our time, and our investment. But as followers of Jesus, we have to value not just those we are close to, not just those we're comfortable with, not just those we already have access to, but we have to value lost people the way Jesus values lost people. We have to value the ones who feel outcast and abandoned and forgotten the way that Jesus values these people. We have to feverishly pursue people the way that shepherd looked for his sheep. We have to invite one another into that process the way that woman did when she found her coin. If we're going to make Asheville look like heaven, we have to pursue those who are lost and value them the same way we value the ones who are already found. So here at the gathering, we will value all people and passionately pursue those who are lost. Number three, we will love well. The kingdom of heaven is built on the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus put it this way, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, the kingdom of heaven is built on love. It's at the core of it. The sacrifice of Jesus was based in love. Our kingdom is based in love. We make our city look more like the kingdom of heaven when we love one another well. Jesus also said in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As a church, we want to be known by our love. I wonder if there's ever been a church in your life that you know by something other than its love. I wonder how many people in our city right now know the church by something other than how well we love. Maybe by the rules we set. Maybe they know us by the guilt they've been made to feel. Maybe they know us by what we've been up against or what we've been against in their lives. Maybe they know us by the sin we've fallen to. 
I believe it's time for us to change all of that so that we can make kingdom come here in our city. We will make Asheville more like heaven when we rewrite the story so the first thing that our city thinks of when it thinks of the church is how well the church loves this city. So as a church, we are committed to loving well. When people hurt us or are rude to us or offend us, we will love them well. When people misunderstand us, or assert their beliefs onto us, we will love them well. When, when we see people who've been left behind, or ignored, or forgotten, we will love them well. When our next door neighbor votes for someone different than us, we will love them well. Are you with me? We have to commit as a church to loving people well because it is one of the greatest imperatives that Jesus left for us. This can't be understated. I'm just telling you what Jesus said about it, but he's not the only one talking about how important it is for us to love well. The Apostle John put it this way, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. That's intense. Loving people well is so important to being a part of the kingdom of God, that if we do not do it, we don't really understand what the kingdom of God is in the first place. We have a love deficit in the world right now. I believe it's the most missing commodity in our culture. And the church is the only place that we can find the answer to that problem. The church is the only source for love that is going to transform and change people. There is a love deficit in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our city, in our politics. There is a love deficit all over our country and it's causing more division, more hatred, and more hurt than ever before. The only thing that can solve that, the only thing that can solve that is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we are the ambassadors of that message. And our job as the church is to build His kingdom here in our city so well that all across our city, whether or not they're here and with us, they know that we are a people who are defined by how well we love. Our role is to infect as many people with that love as we can to make kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right here in the city of Asheville. We will make kingdom come in our city when we love people well. Number four, we will invest in the next generation. We will invest in the next generation. Our hope is is not only in transforming the hearts of our peers, but in growing a generation of children and students who fully understand who they are made to be and fully embrace the purpose, love, and power of Jesus Christ. Bringing the kingdom of heaven to our city means not just thinking about the here and now, but thinking about the generation that is coming next. There's this great little story that's been the subject of many paintings and Sunday school lessons in Matthew 19, 14. 
Jesus is teaching a group of children. Um, Jesus is teaching, and a group of children try to come and get close to him. And the disciples start to move them away so that more important people could get near to Jesus. This is something that we've been doing for a long time in the church, isn't it? We want to make sure the important people get the most access. That is why, as a church, we're going to value all people and give as many people access to the feet of Christ as we can. So these uh, children are trying to come close and the disciples are saying, no, 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 you got to stay in the back. Important people get close to Jesus. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The meaning there is layered. It means a few different... Jesus makes several references to the the faith that a child has and how we should all model that faith because they believe when they're told. They they love relentlessly. They can't be... They're unconditional in their faith and, and in what they believe and in who they trust. And Jesus says that we should trust Him the way a child believes and trusts and has faith. That's one meaning of it. And another thing was that Jesus was always trying to make sure that the people who were always left in the back of the room got to come to the front of the room. That was something he was passionate about. But there's another meaning here that is honestly, simply literal. Because in those days, children would learn religious practice and ritual. Their understanding of God was scholarly, not personal. But the way that Jesus taught was personal and relational and practical. It was a model of discipleship, of doing life together and learning together more than just ritualistic classroom instruction. Jesus was making a point here that kids shouldn't be overlooked, shouldn't be left out, and that if we want them to really know Jesus, we need to let them experience Jesus. Not just give them ritualistic classroom instruction. So if the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, and we want to see the kingdom of heaven come here in our city, we need to make sure we prioritize investing in the next generation. So as a church, this is what we do. In our kids' ministry, kids don't just sit for a lesson about the Bible. They're engaged in a creative teaching curriculum, and they're encouraged to live it out through fun activities. We're committed to creating kids' environments that are personal, relational, practical. At our student ministry, our students aren't just read from the Bible or given a watered-down version of a Sunday message followed by some trendy songs. They're discipled. They're taught how to engage with the world that they live in through the biblical worldview, the way that Jesus would. This is why we put so much energy over the last six months into those lessons that we were sending home to you, to those activities. And we tried to equip you as parents to be able to engage in conversations with your children about Jesus in in ways that are hard for many of us because we're so passionate about this. I would encourage you to join us in this mission. If you're a parent, we need you to do this at home. Don't just uh, count on your G-Kids teacher to be the only one exposing your kids to Jesus. Give them access to Him and His teachings and way of life constantly through example and conversation. And if you're not comfortable bringing your kids to service yet, we understand and we honor that. 
but we're going to continue to resource you the way that we have been, I really want to encourage you to take advantage of those resources. If you're not bringing your kids yet to kids ministry, it's okay. Because honestly, the majority of what they learn about Jesus isn't going to come from G-Kids. It's going to come from you, mom and dad. Engage in conversation with them. Spend time modeling what it looks like to move closer to Jesus in front of them. Don't be afraid to encourage them to ask hard questions, even when you don't know the answers. Walk through it together. Invest in the next generation. I know if you've got teenagers, the last thing your teenagers want to do is talk to you about God. But model it for them. Model it for them. And in, I, I would encourage you to consider partnering with us in this on Sundays. I know that everyone is weirded out by being around kids right now. But if you are comfortable returning to services, then I would encourage you to consider whether or not you might be comfortable serving in kids' ministry. I know that it's a hot topic nationwide, but many of our teachers are making the choice to return to work right now because they believe a kid's education and social development is essential and too important to put on hold. We believe the same is true about a kid's spiritual development. Go to Growth Track on the 18th to learn more or mark it on your Connect code card and let us know you want some more info in serving with our G-Kids or with our Gather students. Finally, number five. Number five. We will make kingdom come here in our city because we will use our gifts, our passions, and our influence to make kingdom come here in our city. If we are going to see a city like this one transformed by the power of the gospel, it is going to take us giving it everything we've got. There is too much on the line. There is too much at stake. As followers of Jesus, we have to, what we have to offer people is too important to take a passive approach to sharing it. We can't just sit back and get through this year because it's hard. No, if you've got the message of Jesus in your heart, then what you carry, what you bear, is far too important to just sit back and wait for someone else to take care of it. No, you've been called. You've been given everything you need to partner along to be the church in this season. Whether you're joining us online or coming back in person, it, there is a way for you to use your gifts, your passions, and your influence to make kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's what you were made to do. When God was creating you, when he was putting you together, he put inside of you things that he knew would be activated once you entered into a relationship with him. There are ways that you can communicate God's message of hope to people that nobody else can. You have gifts that he's only given to you. And you cannot just sit around and wait for somebody else to reach this city. If you have this message in you, it is time to do whatever you can do to bring it into the hearts of others. There is too much on the line. There is too much at stake. We can't just sit back and wait. There are too many people out there right now who are lonely 
and depressed and afraid and longing for something more. So as a church, it's time for us to use whatever we have to make kingdom come here in our city. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to read it to you in the message version, which is a paraphrase, because I love this conversational version of what Paul was communicating in this passage. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, who I'm here to reach all people. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. It's time for us to stop just talking about it and to be in on it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in the game. It's time to get to work, Christians. Survival mode is officially over. There is still a world in crisis out there and we need to be careful and we need to be considerate. But we do not need to be still or silent for one more minute. Partner with me in this. Partner with us in reaching our city with this message of forgiveness, love, grace, kindness, and redemption. Because every heart that we get this message into makes our city just a little bit more like heaven. I know that there's, there's probably mixed feelings about us going back. But I need you to hear from me. This is my heart for why. There's a, there's a bunch of reasons. You know, I believe that as Christians, that there's power in the place. That there's power with us being in the room together. When we worship together, His Spirit manifests heavier when we're together in the room. That's part of it. But, but the biggest part of it is that this is just one more way, one more part that we can leverage to make our city look more and more like the kingdom of heaven that is to come. If you're ready to be a part of making kingdom come in our city and you aren't sure how, I'll give you three ways. First, live it out. Live it out. Live the practices of Jesus in every part of your life. Serve when you have the opportunity. Give sacrificially. Tell people about Jesus. If you have people you are close to who don't know Jesus and you've never taken the time to share with them how Jesus changed your life and what's available to them, find a way to do it. It is not as hard as you think. People are more open to deep conversations now than ever before. People are more open to sources of hope now than ever before. People are looking for joy. They're looking for answers. They're looking for a reason to get up in the morning. 
And if you have that and your neighbor doesn't, your family member doesn't, your coworker doesn't, and you've never offered it to them, Christian, this is what you were made to do. This is who you were made to be. It is not as intimidating as you think it is. It is a conversation. And it is not just a conversation, but it is a conversation that could change their eternity and impact generations to come. Be a part of it. Live it out. Live it out. Be Jesus to people. Serve people selflessly. Love people well. And share every opportunity you get. Number two, join the dream team. I know, listen, some, some of you aren't ready and that's okay. This is not about making you feel guilty, making you feel pressured. I don't want that. You keep serving the way that you can. Find ways to partner with us. Reach out to us, call us, or send a, a connect card in and say, how can I serve if I'm not ready to be around people yet? We will help you figure that out. But if you are ready, if you're ready to come back, or you're on that edge and you're not so sure, come join us and partner in this with us. It takes more than just a staff. It takes more than just a pastor. It takes all of us using our gifts together to accomplish the mission of the church. Growth Track is October 18th, the first one. Come to Growth Track. Find out what makes you come alive. Let us help you find what that is. And if you don't want to wait that long, you don't have to. Go fill out an online connect card. And in the prayer request area, write, I want to be on the dream team. We will reach out to you. We will talk more about it. We will help you find a place. If you've mentioned to us in conversation, a lot of people have mentioned to me in conversation, hey, I'm ready. Whatever you need, use me. I forget immediately. And so if you have mentioned it to one of our pastors in conversation, go fill out that connect card. Say, I want to be on the dream team. We'll get you plugged in. We'll get you in this with us. And number three, say yes. Say yes. Whether or not you're ready to come back as your church family, we are committed to finding ways for you to serve. When we do, say yes. We have a new partner called the Asheville Dream Center. Twice a month, they go into a local neighborhood and minister to people who often feel forgotten. Join us in that. When all this is over, we're going to resume international missions. Join us. Come with us. We do serve projects regularly. Help out. Say yes. And if you're ready... Join the dream team and say yes to being a part of it. Say yes. Finally, if you're here and you're watching, maybe you are one of those people who has longed for hope, longed for it, longed for a reason to believe, wanted to matter, believed that there was more, but wasn't sure what that was. If that's you, let me, let me lead you into the best decision you're ever going to make in your life. Entering into a relationship with Jesus is one of those things that's kind of intimidating at first. And it is a big deal. But I promise it is the greatest source of joy you will ever encounter. And while life doesn't just get easier, and our challenges don't just disappear, in fact, new challenges come the whole way, 
you are never alone. You're filled with the power of his spirit. You're united with his family, the church. And you have his satisfaction, his peace, and his joy to keep you sustained through every part of it. If you want that, would you say this prayer with me today? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own for so long. Today I give myself to you. I believe in you. And I believe in what you've done for me so that I could have a relationship with you. And so today I commit my whole life to you. Use me. Help me to find freedom and discover my purpose so that I can make a difference in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, fill out a connect card so that we can partner with you in your next steps. We want to go on this journey with you. Let us. You can use that connect card to respond in a number of ways to this message. You can let us know you're interested in the dream team. You can let us know, hey, I'm not ready to come back to the dream team, but I, I, I'm, I want to serve selflessly. Tell me how. You can let us know how we can pray for you. We have a prayer team that has never stopped praying during this whole thing. Our prayer team has, has only prayed harder. And so let them pray for you. There's power when people pray for you. Let them pray for you. Put your prayer requests on there. This is also the time when we respond in giving. We believe giving is worship. There's this great story in the scriptures where Jesus is sitting in the back of a temple watching people come in and give, throw, throw money in the offering basket. There's all these rich guys coming in and they're just kind of making a big show of throwing tons of money in there and it's this big deal. They're just tossing it in there and they're being obnoxious about it. Jesus isn't impressed. And then this woman comes in and her heart is different. You see, she only has a couple pennies to give, almost nothing. It makes no big financial difference to the church. But she does it out of an act of sacrificial worship. And it says Jesus was very pleased. He, he told everybody, come look at what she's given, what she's done. Be more like this. If the gathering church is your home, let me encourage you to worship sacrificially through giving. It pleases the heart of God. Let me pray for us one more time as we close here today. Thank you for joining us. I can't wait to see some of you next week to worship with you in person. I cannot wait. I'll see you then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. We thank you that you've given us a mission to take part in. That, God, you've put us in this revolution and you've given us a role in it that we could serve selflessly, that we could love well, that we could value people the way you value people, that, God, we would invest in the next generation and that, God, we would give everything we have everything we have, every ounce of our influence, our, our gifts, all of it, to make your kingdom come in this city. I thank you for making us your partners in this mission. Use us, God. Use our church to make kingdom come and make our city as it is in heaven. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? 
fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.